G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. The songs we sing in church. It may be a surprise, but in the Bible, not every song is a happy song of praise. One of the books in the Bible that you may only perhaps rarely read has a purpose of expressing despair and teaching God's people that disobedience to the Lord results in immense suffering and distress. In the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah pours out his emotions in compassion and empathy for God's nation after Jerusalem's destruction by the Babylonians. Well, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He firstly predicted the destruction, and then, uh, to his heart's being torn, watched it take place. So does this type of emotion and lament mean anything to us in the 21st century? Or is it just a story of gloom that we read about in the Bible and part of the history of the Israelites? Well, let's talk about lament today. Mike Rater is director for the Center for Biblical Preaching. He's served as a missionary in Pakistan. He's a former principal of the Melbourne School of Theology. He's also written a number of books, including one released this year called Songs of the Saints, Enriching Our Singing by Learning from the Songs of Scripture. Mike is also, in what's coming up, one of the keynote speakers, along with American Nancy Guthrie, at what's known as the One Love Conference that's coming up on the 9th of September at Sydney Olympic Park. There is a website, I'll give you that one later on. But Mike Rater is joining us. Hello, Mike. Welcome along to 2020. Hello, Mark. Good to be, good to be back. Uh, Mike, when we talk about uh, lamentation, uh, what does that really mean? Is there a special definition that we can talk about right at the beginning of our conversation? If we're going to talk about lament and sad songs and uh, the songs of Scripture, is there a special definition for that word lament? And there might be. I think when we think of lamenting, we mean bringing before God our sorrows, our heartbreaks, our pains, our doubts and sufferings as both the one who knows about them and the one from whose hand they have come. Uh, And therefore expressing to him uh, our own very honest hurt and pain and suffering and doubts, but then in the end looking to him who in the end has brought these things to also bring us hope and deliverance. Mike, there's this image that some people have of some churches, uh, the idea of happy, clappy Christianity. You've heard that sort of expression, Uh, the idea that everybody's always joyful, always looking happy. Well, it's a bit of a caricature of the church because uh, really nothing like that you really get uh, from a close and deeper look at the Bible. What do you think the Bible teaches about uh, happiness and sadness? Why does the Bible even contain these sorts of songs and poems that we'd call lamentations? Yeah, there's a lot in that question there, Neil. Uh, 
you're right, church, while I think the preaching in most of our churches is pretty honest about life, you know, preachers talk about sufferings and doubts, etc., it's striking, when we turn to the songs we sing in our churches today, you're hard-pressed to find any songs which acknowledge that. Uh, so the preaching does that, but the singing doesn't. Uh, but then you turn to the Bible, both in its words and in songs, you have both the joy of life and, well, Paul's words are in Romans 8, we groan with all creation. The One of the hallmarks of life, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever in this fallen world, is that we groan. And life is tough and we long for the day when our groanings will cease. But while we live in this world, we'll groan. There'll be death, disease, suffering, persecution, disappointment, betrayal, anxiety, depression, the whole gamut of human suffering. And we experience that. And there are parts of the Bible, like some of the Psalms and the Book of Lamentations, which gives us a vehicle to express this part of our reality in a fallen world. Is there a sense, Mike, that if you get into issues of lamentations and uh, the immense sadness that might come from uh, that sort of focus, uh, if you've come from uh, the sadness of your own week, if you've gone through tragedy, if you're suffering from all sorts of things that might you know, even cause depression, and, and this is a whole uh, different field we might be able to get into, but, but in fact, all of that sadness, do you hope that when you actually come before the Lord on a Sunday and you begin to sing that you might actually have an escape from the sadness? Uh, should there be sadness in church singing? Uh, what are your thoughts on, on the way that churches choose their songs and uh, whether they avoid sadness and lament in church? I, I think the whole service... Neil is a unified, is a unified whole. I think uh, certainly if you're if you're if you're preaching from the Bible, and the passage you're preaching on is is a passage which which confronts sadness and anxiety and frustration and doubts, then I, it's appropriate then to have the songs we sing in that service, some of those songs at least to ref, to reflect that. Um, church is church is not an escape from reality. A church is a place where we, where we confront reality. It, sh- it should be the realist place in the city, the place where you come to be with God and you, you confront the real issues of life. Now, you, you don't leave there morose and morbid. You leave there, I trust, with words of hope and comfort ringing in your ears. But there's a place where you confront reality and you, you express to God and to each other the, the, the pains you feel. I imagine for people who think of church as being a place that does reflect sadness, that if you are, in fact, happy, you might not want to actually uh, come down from your happiness to go to a place of sadness. Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of a contrast, isn't it, the way we yeah. can sometimes feel about what we're going to be doing in church. Yeah, well, Paul says that we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. So you, at this point in your life, maybe tears is not your your experience. Maybe right now things in life are good, but you'll know the person, you'll know two things. There have been times and there will be times in your life when you will weep. And there'll be people next to you in the pew, in the chair, who are right there and there weeping. And so you come to church, I think in part, to empathize with them and to minister to them. So it, it is, a t- it is it, it, part of our gathering sometimes I must be an acknowledgement of this very important dimension. You mentioned the Lamentations, and I think you mentioned the Psalms. A third of the Psalms are lament. And some would say half the Psalms contain some lament. So the Psalms 
fundamentally are given to us from God. I mean, God breathed out the Psalms, and God is saying to us, I acknowledge that a large part of your life is, is, is suffering and hardship, and I'm giving you here the gift of the psalm, the laments, to express that to me. And we don't want to stop that from it. It's kind of close that part of our life once, once we enter the church doors. Mike, tell us a little about your book, Songs of the Saints, enriching our singing by learning from the songs of Scripture. What sort of things do you cover in your book, you know, in a brief way, in a nutshell? What sort of yeah. things do you cover? Well, I, th- I think we, we try to answer the question, Neil, of why do we sing? And I, I think if you ask most people why we sing as Christians, they would say we sing to praise God. That is, singing has a vertical dimension, which is entirely true. But it has also, in the Bible, a horizontal dimension. We sing to one another. We sing to teach one another. So Psalms, the, the, the songs we sing, need to be both praise to God and edifying and building up each other. And so what we do in our book, I've, I've co-authored the book with a, a Christian songwriter called Rob Smith. We've looked at the number of the, the songs of the Bible in both Old Testament and New, and said, what, what principles for our singing today, both in how we sing and the content of our songs can we extract from the Bible? God has given us songs. He's given us, I think, a template, a paradigm for how he wants us to sing to him and to each other. Let's therefore learn from the songs he's given us as the kind of songs we should be singing and writing. And we look at what, what, why we sing, the power of singing. Uh, you mentioned emotions, a place of emotions in singing, so just, and some issues of how we express this in our gatherings today. Mike, I sometimes think we can very quickly associate sadness with badness, but I know that you'll agree with this too, and no doubt listeners, and love to hear from listeners, but uh, when you've been you know, singing a song which is a sad song in church, tears come to the eyes, uh, you're reflecting on the things of God, perhaps a great sacrifice, uh, and perhaps the cross, uh, and and in the sadness and in the saddest times when tears may be streaming down your face, these are in fact uh, even joyful and happy moments at the same time. Is it ha- is it possible to be happy and sad at the same time? Well, certainly, it, it, with the examples you've given, and you think upon the cross and forgiveness and our adoption and our future hope of heaven. One would wonder, Neil, if there aren't tears <laughs> in the eyes, what's what's missing? Um, these things are powerfully emotional. I, I often say we read the story of the prodigal son, and I'm sure that Luke has given us an, an edited version of what was probably a much longer version when Jesus preached it. I, I, I wonder if there was a dry eye in the house when he finished that emotionally powerful story of uh, the lost son coming home and the father embracing him. So the gospel is is wonderfully emotional and powerful and tear-inducing. And I think sometimes when we reflect upon our sins and how we've hurt others and broken God's heart, tears is a good, a healthy, in that sense, a happy, joyful response to the memory of our sins. But also, life is tough, Neil. We we know this. There, There are doubts which aren't sinful. There are doubts and there are heartbreaks and there are questions and pains, and tears seems to me a good response to it. If I just say, the great Baptist, Spurgeon, uh, Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, once said to in a, in a sermon, if you can't pray, then cry. 
your tears are an expression of our prayers. And I, I think that's right. You know, sometimes I think that when you think of church, and this is the gathering of a local church, that for some people they think that this is an intellectual exercise where you're going along to hear teaching and somehow or other the classroom mentality of the preacher being a teacher and you're like there as the student Mm-hmm. And uh, and God, even you know, with a big stick, uh, ready to you know make sure you've learned the three R's. Uh, but there is an emotional dimension to church and an emotional dimension to us, isn't there? That yes. we ought not to avoid when we actually come before the Lord in a gathering of the saints at church on a Sunday. Mm. Well, as you know, uh, Neil, I teach preaching, and um, uh, I, I say to people often, often when I when I I speak somewhere, before I speak, I'm introduced with the words, uh, Mike will now come and teach us the Bible. That is, we now have the professor coming into the lecture hall to teach the class. And I said, that's not right. I'm, I'm not the professor right now. I am I'm the, the preacher, the proclaimer, the announcer. This is not the class. This is the, the gathering of the people of God. And God's in our midst. And in and all we do as we gather, of course there's an intellectual element. I want my sermons to be intellectually satisfying. I want the songs we sing, some to be intellectually satisfying. But I want my, my preaching and the singing, and even just being together as, a, as the people, I want it to be also emotionally powerful and satisfying. Yeah, so we are, we are holistic beings, and therefore the hearing of God's word, the expression, the response to God in prayers and songs must be, I think, both intellectual uh, and emotional and, and, and embrace all of life. And I imagine that once you start talking intellect and emotions and you're sitting there under, as you say, the preaching of the Word of God and the things that happen in people's hearts and in their minds, to their whole person, you can't escape from the fact that there is a, a spiritual experience where there's a transaction between God and the individual. How do you describe that sort of spiritual dimension, Mike? And isn't, I mean, isn't that what you want, uh, Neil, when, you, when we gather together? Uh, as a preacher, that's what I pray for. I pray for a response from the whole person, uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually. I just, I just don't think we can divide ourselves up into parts like this. Uh, we are holistic beings. And when we meet God uh, in, 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 in the words we hear, in, in the songs and prayers we offer with, with each other, then we're going to respond to that God in a whole range of ways, which are all interconnected. We are going to respond with our minds. We're going to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, um, and our spirits are, are going to be caught up in that and our emotions. It's, it's a holistic response. And that's, that's, just, that's your characterize our gatherings on, on Sunday. And Mike, is there a difference between the sort of holistic, spiritual, intellectual, emotional response that you might have in your living room on your own or with close family or friends to what you would have in the corporate gathering in the local church? Is there something special about the the corporate gathering that uh, that enlarges our capacity to connect with God because of the fact that there are a group of people all gathered together? So you know, Jesus said, when two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in their midst. Which doesn't mean, of course, he's not with us. He said he would be when we are alone. But there's a sense in which when we gather together as his people, his presence is in some sense, I think, accentuated. 
So when we have the, 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 the appointed gifted preacher to bring God's word to us, uh, there's, there's something about that dynamic which is special. There's something about the, the, the dynamic of singing. I was in Singapore just a few weeks ago at a gathering of seven, eight hundred people singing, and it was just, it was, it was a taste of heaven, Neil. It was just, it was breathtaking and encouraging and edifying and soul-stirring as you hear seven, eight hundred voices lifted up to God in, in, in praise. It was just a very special moment. Now, you can have that alone in your room with just your voice, but the whole experience is, I think, accentuated and enhanced in, in the gathering of uh, a number of people. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. You might like to join in our conversation today. Our talkback line is open 1-800-316-316. You might be able to describe your own feeling and emotions, uh, even the way you feel intellectually when you're in church and especially to do with the sorts of songs that your church sings, uh, whether they're hymns or uh, modern chorus uh, songs or the types of modern songs you might hear uh, from the likes of Hillsong. Uh, give us a call, 1-800-316-316. We are talking about the place of sad songs in church today. Our special guest is Mike Rater. Mike is director of the Centre for Biblical Preaching. He wrote a book that was released earlier this year called Songs of the Saints, Enriching Our Singing by Learning from the Songs of Scripture. Picking up on something you mentioned just before we went to that break, Mike, the idea of when you're singing in church, actually having something of a taste of heaven. How do you describe that whole sensation, that spiritual dimension of what you're going through when you're in church and and really connecting with God? Well, I think uh, I'd probably mean one a taste of one dimension of heaven. Um, and I think one of the, the pictures we have in Revelation of uh, the age to come of the, uh, is of the saints gathered around the throne of God with, of course, all the myriad, myriad angels in praise to God. Now, not that the picture of heaven is endless singing. Of course, heaven, and the Bible portrays heaven as the, 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 new, the new heavens, the new earth, and our being on earth, I gather, working, living, as we are now, but in the new, the new creation. But a sense in which uh, God's people come together in a large number, and, and now with un, kind of unsullied joy, uh, sing, sing to God and sing to each other. And sometimes I think um, that's one reason we wrote the book. Uh, the singing at church is, is a, can be a profoundly disappointing experience. Uh, people sing half-heartedly. To be frank, some of the songs we sing, I wonder... Is this song really worth singing? Is it, does, it, does it add much? But I, I, th- I think when we get uh, to be with God, uh, I think God's people will, will sing with yeah, un, unsullied joy and sing songs worthy of the God we're singing to. So in that sense, I think those, those great moments of singing are a taste of that, that part of heaven. Do we have to be trained to enter into the sort of you know, dimension, the taste of heaven, uh, in a special way in our church, does it? For some people, it seems to come naturally. Where mm. you know they've got their hands raised, as we were mm. saying a little earlier, the tears rolling down the face. Whether those are tears of joy or whether they're tears of sadness or reflection on God's greatness or His sacrifice, mm. uh, do we need to be trained to actually enter into that opportunity to get that taste of heaven? Um. 
I think we need to allow for individual differences just in personality. Uh, there, are, there are some people who, who will want to express uh, their emotions, well, both to people and to God in a much more overt way than others. Some people are just more, are just more restrained in their emotions, and that's, that's fine. We, we, we are different people. And there'll be, other, there'll be some times when you gather in church uh, where you'll, you'll, you'll feel more emotionally engaged than other times, just like with a sermon. Some sermons will impact your heart and life in a way that others won't. That's fine. That's natural. It'd be uh, very strange for every week, every sermon, every song to always be impacting your, your, your heart and your life. There'll be differences. But I do think we want to, when we come together, we want to have a heart and a mind that's ready to receive what God has to say to us in his word and ready to respond to him in prayer and praise in, a, in an appropriate way. I imagine that in every church service, when the singing begins, there are some who really, really are there and loving the opportunity that they have, entering into, as it were, like the courts of the Lord, and others who are standing, and it could be two people standing side by side, one who is having the most incredible spiritual, emotional experience before God, and the person next to them, as you describe, having a disappointment, perhaps because the person who's really entering in isn't singing in tune and is really putting them off. Yeah. Uh, that's all very much a possibility as well, isn't it? Yeah, and that's, that's natural. That's, that's, that's natural, I think. But I think just like when I, when I go to church and the preacher starts preaching, and it might not be the most engaging sermon, but I say to myself, look, this is God's truth. It's important for me to listen. I, I make that decision. And we come to some, we come to a time of singing, and I might say to myself, "I'm not really in the mood this morning for singing." But hey, singing is important. God tells us, God commands us to sing to the Lord, to sing to each other. Therefore, I'm going to make the decision this morning. I'm going to sing. I might not feel all that emotionally up for it, but it's just it's, it's a choice of the will, not just a choice of the heart. Some people think of that singing before the sermon as uh, just the warm-up act. Uh, I know, I know, you like to talk about two sermons on a Sunday. Uh, what yeah. do you mean by that? Uh, the two sermons. Uh, well, I, 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 I'm, Paul says, you know, teach one another, admonish with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So he, 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 he doesn't say sing to each other. He says teach one another. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, sees the songs as part of the teaching ministry of the church and giving thanks to God. So we think of the teaching taking place in the pulpit. Paul says, no, the teaching takes place in the pulpit and when the music team stand up to lead you in singing. Teaching takes place there too. That's why I say I think you hear in church, you hear two sermons. Uh, both the Word of God, both hopefully rich in truth and theology, both sermons, one from the pulpit, one from the music team. Uh, and that's why I think we, we have a deficient view of singing. I think we think singing is just giving praise to God. I'm saying, no, it's not. When the singers lead you in singing, they're now teaching you, and in a sense, they're preaching to you. So make, we need to make sure that what they preach is good and edifying, and that we're listening to their sermon. Mike, let's go back to, we were talking a little about Jeremiah, the writer of the Book of Lamentations, and you mentioned, yes, lots of the Psalms, about a third of the Psalms are Lamentations too. They're sadness and uh, they are filled with all sorts of emotion. But here you have Jeremiah, uh, who, in when we hear of his writing of the Lamentations, has witnessed 
the invasion and destruction <laughs> yeah. of Jerusalem. A really yeah. traumatic time. Yes. And yeah. writes out of the trauma of his own heart. Uh, sometimes the worship out of our own hearts uh, comes from a sad place. How do you reflect mm. on, on those sorts of things with lamentation? Yeah, I think... I mean, Jeremiah is not surprised that God comes in judgment. He's, he definitely is preaching. He's warned Israel, you know, just repent or it'll come. And so that doesn't surprise him. What surprises him, as you said, Neil, is the extent of the judgment, the trauma, its ferocity, its horror. I think that's what sends him reeling. It, he, that it, and, and he sees this from God. I, I, I often contrast Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. With lamentation, the Lord is like a lion hiding. He dragged me from the path and mangled me. So in, in the psalmist, he's a shepherd who cares for me. In lamentation, he's a lion who tears me apart. That's both the word of God, both from godly men. That's how Jeremiah feels. He feels deeply, personally, the pain and suffering he sees all around him. And he can only express this in words of horror and lament. But... Of course, there the middle of Lamentations is that marvelous, wonderful passage, you know, your, your mercies are new every day, great your faithfulness. So the heart of this tragic, heart-piercing song, or five songs, is a great word of hope and trust. But around that hope and trust is this, this dreadful lament over the suffering he sees around him. We're taking calls, uh, 1-800-316-316, a couple of minutes out from news. Let's hear from Jonathan in Perth in WA. Hello, Jonathan, welcome along. Yes. Jonathan, you know, what are your uh, thoughts? Thank you. You know, worship hour is not a time you go to church before you prepare. You have to prepare yourself throughout the week and get ready to go and worship. We go there to worship together. Church is done when you go there before you'll be able to put yourself together in the church and listen to music that will amuse you. What throughout the week you are not in tune with God, you are not worshiping Him, you disconnected yourself from God, you are doing anything you feel like doing. This is what many people do when they read to church before they try to put themselves together to worship. Jonathan, worship good thoughts in that. Let's have a quick response from Mike about yeah. the preparation we do to worship God. Yes, I think, well... I mean, I agree with our brother. I think it is important to see this as a special hour and we prepare ourselves uh, because we just need to be clear that uh, we don't want to separate the worship of God from what we do on Sunday to what we do all of the week. When I'm washing the dishes, I'm worshiping God. When I'm working in the office, I'm, you know, Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, your acceptable worship. All of life is worship. And we need to be careful of just just using the word worship for our Sunday gathering when all of life is worship. But your brother's quite right. I think it's important to go there to prepare ourselves uh, to meet God and, again, to meet each other. We go to church, Paul would say, to build one another up. Yes, we go to church to offer God our praise and thanks, but I go there for you. I'm I'm there in church to serve you. Mike, we're about to go to news. We'll continue the conversation after news. Talk back line open, 1-800-316-316. Mike, let's take a call from a listener, Susan, from New South Wales. Hello, Susan. Welcome along. Hi. Um, Good morning to you. Um, I'm very grateful that this program came on today. Um, I listen to Vision Radio every day and um, I've been praying and asking God to help me understand why I can't listen to the Christian contemporary music. Okay. Um, You know, um, 
being the person that I am and my previous experiences um, with trauma and that, um, relied on Jesus most of my life. And I found that every time I've gone to a church, um, such as Hillsong and other contemporary churches, uh, when people are singing and raising their hands and jumping up and down, and I'm just there sitting down, and I've felt intimidated by that, and I've never felt good enough to be part of these churches. And I've walked out each time because I'm, I've felt bad about myself and think, why why am I like that, Lord? Why can't I be like the rest of the church, jumping up and down and raising my arm up and shouting? But in my heart, um, you know, I love... Uh, singing hymns like Blessed Assurance and, you know, all the old hymns and some of the contemporary ones, the more more mellow ones. And, um, yeah, this this has been my prayer in the last few weeks because I've been listening to Vision Radio nearly every day and sometimes some of the contemporary songs doesn't resonate with me. And, yeah, that's been my prayers. And also I've been... Susan, let's uh, let's uh, deal with uh, what you've been sharing so far. And uh, Mike Rader is with us. Uh, Mike, as you're listening to Susan, yeah, and yeah. Susan's story is not going to be one that Susan shares alone. Uh, lots of people uh, will, you know, there's horses for courses and the different sorts of songs and things that attract people to singing and entering into worship. Your thoughts for Susan? Yeah, I think she raises a very important point, Neil. Um I think, as Susan implies, I think many people go to church just feeling weighed down by life. And the message often we're sending in church, especially with our singing, is this is a lack of faith. That if you're a true Christian, a man or woman of faith, then constant celebration will be the theme of your life. You'll be smiling, you'll be praising God all the time and rejoicing. And I'm saying that's, that's, that's neither real nor biblical. <laughs> God wouldn't give us so many songs of weeping and crying and lamenting if he wasn't acknowledging to us that that's a part of life. And I think the point you raise is a good point. And whether, I, mean, I think there's some wonderful hill songs, but I think whatever, whatever stable our songs come from today, they let us down. I, we just, we've stopped writing, and it's, it'd be worth working, just deciding why, we've stopped writing songs of lament. Uh, and in so doing, we are sending to our people, I think, an imbalanced message about the nature of the Christian life. Well, thank you so much to Susan from New South Wales for your, uh, sharing your own heart and uh, honestly giving us that appraisal of what you feel when you're in church. At 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. Let's hear from John in Tasmania. Hello, John. Welcome along. Yes, yes, thank you. Um, just for the uh, opportunity to uh, share a few thoughts. Um, I, I love the most songs sung in the church. The only thing I do not like is the repetition of a few words over and over and over again. When there is, to me, there is so many beautiful songs about the Lord, about worship and how to worship. And and um, I get quite uptight myself when when they re- uh, when the repetition goes on and on and on over maybe and one or two songs with with uh, so so few words in it. John, let's get some um, let's get some thoughts on that idea of repetition. Mike, your thoughts for John? Well, I think John, I have a hearty amen <laughs> to what you what you're saying. Look, I think there's a place for short songs. I think we have you find in the Psalms, the Book of Psalms, the Psalter. 
very long psalms and some very short ones. So the place in church for uh, songs of three, four, five verses and for very short ones. And there's a place too, as in the psalms, to repeat things. But I think you reach a point, uh, John, when you're right in saying this, where too much repetition ceases to be edifying. And you think at a point, are we trying to whip up emotions here in a way that's not really helpful? So I, I'm with John on this. I'd rather, rather to sing an array of good songs rather than the constant repetition of just two or three. I think he makes a good point. Thank you so much, John, for your input today on 2020. Uh, just before we move on to the next call, I mean, uh, historically speaking, uh, if we go back through the history of the church, there's been all sorts of different music styles. Uh, mm-hmm. One of those, uh, I'm just thinking, as, as John's talking about repetition, the idea of chanting. Some churches actually have a very spiritual chanting in their music. I mean, talking uh, Gregorian and chants and things like that. And I'm not an expert on all of this, but as the thought comes to mind, uh, there are times historically where the idea of repetition has brought people into a new sort of spiritual dimension. Yes, there are um, certain churches now where uh, you, you do responsive reading, so you, you, you say something and respond with, uh, you know, the Lord have mercy, which is chanted, and the, the repetition there, which um, which can be helpful. Um but again I, again, I think I still with John. I think too much repetition ceases to be ceases to be helpful, and again, it can be a somewhat manipulative way of trying to whip up certain emotions, whether they're notions of sobriety or or, or, or joy and cheerfulness. We're taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's hear from Graham in Tasmania. Hello, Graham. Welcome along. Hello. Uh, look, uh, uh, limitations and Matthew twenty four. There's going to be a lot of trouble, and this is the beginning of showing the trouble for Israel then. We are now have turned from God, and these troubles are going to come upon us. They're already upon us. And the thing is, um, I'd like to just ask your minister there, who is Jacob and who is God talking about? Uh, you've got that, Mike? Uh, not, in, who is the, not the last bit. Who is... Who is Jacob? When God talks about Jacob, who is he talking about? The lost tribe of what, Israel. What are you referring well to? Which, which, yeah, I, I, well, Jacob would be Israel, that's right. I, I think the troubles, I think you're right, the troubles that we we experience are the troubles of this world, which, as you say, rightly are coming upon us, but they're also the troubles of life. Many of the Psalms, which are laments, speak, they speak of the sufferings that come upon God's people through their enemies, but just the sufferings of life. People feel a sense of God. They've lost a sense of the presence of God. They wonder, how long, O Lord? Why, Lord, do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? The the questions of doubts, to the suffering of pain. My body aches and I'm depressed. So there are the sufferings that come upon our world because of sin, but just the sufferings in life that uh, befall believers. And both of those find expression in the Psalms of Lament. Graham from Tasmania, thanks so much for your input today on 2020. Let's hear from Tina in Brisbane. Hello, Tina. Welcome along. Yeah, hello. Tina, yes, we've got you. What are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, yeah my thoughts are on the age. Like, for example, when I was 12, 13, I loved the praises song, like all fast and uh, clap and things like this. But then as age went, um, like I'm in my mid-30s, so I've gone through problems and uh, I've realized that I was seen and how God has rescued me. So I've seen that I love more of the Lemon Song, but I've got a 12-year-old 
who's at home like and when we are in the car like in the family like when we are driving and things she doesn't want to listen to slow songs so i can like remember what i was like so maybe it's the age that matters as well john what great thoughts because mm-hmm. when you go to church you want to be there uh, perhaps mum and dad and the kids uh, you want the music to be uh, the sort of uh, songs and hymn singing or uh, christian songs that will uh, be able to meet everyone's needs your thoughts mm. mike yeah good point uh, one reason songs touch us so deeply is they they reflect their own emotions and their life experience. And so there are people, I know a couple some years ago, who'd stopped going to church. These are a godly couple because of the songs that were being sung there. The songs that they were singing were all contemporary songs. They'd been nurtured on the hymns of the past, and these were now forgotten, and they'd stopped going to church. It's hard for a pastor in a church or church leaders when you have an array of people with various tastes in music, music styles, genre, that kind of thing. I think the answer is trying to have a selection of songs and music that reflect the diversity in the congregation. So older songs that are more hymn-like and contemporary songs too. But we have to, I think, we come to church to serve each other, and that means in the songs we sing, being willing to sing songs that perhaps wouldn't be our first choice in the style of songs that we sing. I think it has to be a fair bit of give and take and we express love to each other in being willing to have an array of songs, some of which would not be to our particular liking. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.